and uh, welcome to Pod of the Gaps. This is the podcast that pods the plugs, or plugs the pods, or plugs the gaps between church and uh, and culture. I'm Andy Bannister. This is about the 40th episode of the show we've done, so there's no excuse for me fluffing uh, the intro up, and but, uh, it's also not about the 40th. It is the 40th. Be confident, Andy, for- in, in your math. It is the 40th. It is the 40th uh, episode. I can't quite believe we've had... We've had well, technically, there was a... Technically, it's the 41st episode because there was a there is a missing episode. That There's a story we'll tell behind that. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the po- it's, in the, it's in the part of the Gaps vault one day for our subscribers. Maybe when we get to yes. it. LA, does that mean that now we're 40? Because I don't have... You know, we don't have any celebratory cake or anything for ourselves. But do we get... Do we go through some kind of midlife crisis as a podcast? The podcast we get like a, little, a little red sports car or yeah, something. Right. And, yeah, yeah, we'll uh, just try to relive our earlier days or something. Some, you know, I remember for my fortieth birthday, my, uh, my 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 wife. I, I, I mean, I asked for it, but she um she bought me a pipe because I thought forty was a good time to go with C.S. Lewis and and try and okay. learn the art of pipe smoking, and it and it didn't really take. But I do remember that was my my experience of turning forty. So maybe there's equivalent for, pod, for podcasts. Um, so- so if listeners want to send us uh, a podcast equivalent of a pipe, I don't know how we'd even do that as kind of an electronic version of it, then that's what they need to do. Is that what you're saying? Well, pipes begin with P and Patreon begins with P. Something's coming up. He's yeah, building if they up. Click, if, they, if they click the link in the show notes, Aaron, very seriously, if you are a Pod of the Gaps listener, um, do please try, you know, if you can get behind uh, the show. There's a, there's a small group of you who do support uh, the show by giving us a small amount of money. Um, monthly, which is fantastic, helps sort of keep the show going and pay for our production costs. Mm. Some of you long-term listeners might go, "What, what production uh, do you possibly <laughs> do?" Given the quality of the audio, uh, sometimes it helps pay for Aaron's bookshelves, it helps pay for my hut in the garden. You know, all kinds of things. There we go. Uh, it's and actually, yeah, that we had, we do really want to thank our listeners for that who have supported us. There's one in particular who gives us a significant amount each month, which is really kind, and it does help. And we want to keep expanding the show, don't we? So that's why we're going to Cedarwood Festival, aren't we? This Sunday, we are going. Right? To, yeah, so we are we are at the Cedarwood Festival in Durham. We're recording a live episode. If, they, if that's a live episode, Aaron, presumably these are what dead episodes. The other yeah, these ones, are dead ones. Know. That's right. We'll so be, be dead a, after be, them. There'll be a live one, so they'll they'll sit you, me, and we've got an MC joining us, and I guess they. Wires up to the mains, you know. Throw the switch, and it goes Do live. They have sound then... effects to make it look like sound like there's like a thousand people there. If we only get ten people turn up, like they need. Oh, to we'll have get some a thousand kind of... people. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. We could planted questions laugh... from the audience and a laugh track as well for when, uh, <laughs> yeah, when exactly right. uh, when things uh, when stadium things... laughter setting. Yeah, stadium laughter. Yes, yeah. it worries me that we provide our own laugh track half the time. I, I say something funny and you try and laugh and. And, and vice versa, but, uh, well, but yeah. again, I'm just pressing a button to laugh, but it works exactly. But know. it's a very exciting day in the Bannister, uh, well, a very exciting week in the Bannister house because I uh, I get my garden office tomorrow. I get a wooden I get a wooden finished barbecue hut going into the garden. So no longer will I be podcasting from the from the spare bedroom with with a you listeners can't see this, but with a <laughs> airing cupboard behind me and a and a bed over the other shoulder. I will be in a little wooden hut in the garden from tomorrow. It's very exciting. Very, really. And then you showed me a photo of it earlier, and I did find it interesting because I presume this is you kind of trying to save money by by what using something that's actually designed for barbecues. Like it's got this kind of oven in the middle, isn't it? And a chimney out in the middle of it. Well, they do take that out, actually. If you oh, do, do they? Gar- okay. you, yeah, yeah. If you have it as a garden office, I'll put a, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can appreciate the... Uh, See, if you'd only contacted them, we could have got some money and said, if you know, in our spare time, we love to spend, you know, mention the 
you know, the um, company. You could have got some money off your This podcast cabin. is sponsored by Arctic Cabins. Yes, exactly. So there you so, go. You so could no, give they, them a free no, there's no, There'll be no barbecue. That's it. Uh, but I did find it, when you showed me the photo, it link, this links into our previous episode where we talked about uh, Vikings. It, it did look like a kind of Viking um, chieftain's kind of lair. Had all these kind of animal skins on these... Uh, benches that surround this kind of fire pit in the middle where this, this you know meat is just being made yeah. so, so well, if you do end up becoming a viking i think a, that's where you're gonna there's hang a out. story there's a story there before we get into the real topic for the the, the show and and talk about you know masculinity and men and mission and other kind of you know hearty subjects was yeah you do get with the with the arctic cabin they they do supply five reindeer skins because i guess you could sit around in sort of finnish style in the in the winter if you're having it as a barbecue hut and you know certainly your animal skin but they when we were signing the paperwork and they said, oh, do you want the reindeer skins that are included? We went, yes, please. And the lady went, I just need to let you know they are they are an animal product, uh, just in case that was a problem for you. I went, yeah, they're reindeer skins. She looked at me and she laughed. Yeah. She said, yeah, you get it. She said, we've had complaints because some people, we've had a couple of occasions vegans who say, oh, we didn't realize yeah. they were real, they were reindeer, they were, that, they were an animal product. Yeah. That reindeer skins generally reindeer need them to keep their insides in. We want vegetarian uh, reindeer. Come on, can't you get the yes, reindeer that don't, yeah. don't have any meat on them? Well, I guess no, if it's a really skinny reindeer, it didn't have any meat. It should be fine. no. My biggest frustration was say, well, do you? If we were getting the barbecue version of this, would you give us the whole reindeer so we could just say, sadly not? Um, <laughs> but uh, but there we go. But you haven't been building barbecue cuts of the garden though. But you've been off to the movies. I, I hear. I have. Yeah, and I think it would have been cool. We you know we did our James Bond one many moons ago. Yes, we um, did. Our, our kind of. Post, I, I was, we did an episode where I'd just gone to the cinema. That was quite fun. Um, we should have done this for this one. So I did finally, I went to go and see the uh, new, well, as as at the time of recording, isn't even really that new anymore. The Top Gun Maverick film, the kind of sequel to the classic 80s, uh, um, yeah, Navy Seal. Is it Navy Seal? Are they Navy Seals? They're just they're fighter jets in the US Navy, I think, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that was really interesting. So I went that with a, with a, pal and we were sort of chatting about it afterwards and yeah just i was really struck by it. it actually links very much very nicely this is a perfect segue for you andy um to to link link into our our discussion because i, I was one thing i was really surprised by was the sort of unadulterated pro masculine vibes in the film I, I was kind of thinking this is really interesting that they just it's quite cheesy it's sort of known as cheesy it sort of just throws it all out there the kind of americana and the heroic motifs and things like that. And I, I was sort of expecting, I was just worried at the beginning that they were going to make it all woke and they didn't. And like they, they kind of had, they did have a kind of diversity amongst the sort of uh, pilots who were going to go for this sort of special mission, but they sort of didn't seem to mind doing the kind of a more traditional Western thing in the film. And so like a white guy was actually the hero. Not that I'm kind of, you don't want to go on a track about race with all of this, but it's just interesting because normally there'd be like this need, this kind of desperation to make sure that uh, the white guy doesn't kind of win in any sort of sense. And there's, there's just some really good themes in there that I thought that were really affirmable. In fact, the guy I was uh, watching with, he sent me an interesting link to a, a post, uh, a um, podcast in the States where they were debating this film and what and what and two there were two pastors who were sort of really really affirmative um of Top Gun how wonderful it is and the other guy was saying well it's just not that great a film it's really just that you've been so starved of masculinity in the culture that you think this is now amazing so I don't know I have to filter through I have to watch it again and see whether I was mm. duped or not but I did I did find myself thinking oh this is so refreshing just to see heroic themes and men being men and brotherhood and that kind of thing and, and inter helpful interactions with women there was really interesting just masculinity and femininity in a more 
uh, what shall we say, traditional roles in not in every respect, yeah. but it was just really, really interesting to see and refreshing. So yeah, I liked it. Yeah, and I think that's a great. This is a great topic to talk about. I mean, we could talk about this one for a, for a, for a long, long time. So I think there's lots of issues that spin off this, but um, I think one of the things that that intrigues me around around a lot of this, uh, particularly when we move over from perhaps film and culture to, to the church, Aaron, is that I think for a long time, one of my concerns for a while in the broader church has been that that somehow we've forgotten what we're doing when it comes hmm. when it comes to men in a whole number of, of ways. I first noticed it's actually, it shows that I think the issue has some long roots. I first noticed about 20 years ago, I was involved in sort of church ministry. And I remember looking around going, oh, there's a lot of women in the churches that I'm involved in. There are men, but not as many. Then I talked to other pastors and, and friends in mission who, who who said that you know anecdotally it's much easier to get you know if you're if you're ministering to it trying to reach a couple it's much easier to get the wife to come to church. In fact, I've got quite a few friends who actually mm. that's their story to faith as their 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 wife became mm. started going to church and then praise the Lord the man came mm. along afterwards. Mm. But there's also lots of cases where you know, it's far more common if you've got only one of a couple in a church attending it'll be the woman who attends and mm. not the uh, and not the man. Mm. And then, as I dug a bit deeper into that, you know, hearing a lot of my my friends sort of, you know, sort of saying almost a sense of guilt for the bad for saying it that they mm. didn't really feel that church was addressing mm. the questions and issues that they were facing, or that the only thing that happened when they went to church they got told off for you know for for toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and um, you know all the things that are that are wrong in the world being laid at the foot of piece of, of men. And I don't want to say right at the start of the, the show, you know, it's worth being conscious of a few things, you know, obviously we're conscious we are guys. So we've got our best interest in, in this. Mm-hmm. And also I want to, as we go, as we touch on some of these issues, and I know for people listening, there are some, some of these issues are, are deep and people have been wounded by some of the stuff that's gone on in culture. I, we're not, I'm not saying that men haven't got some stuff to deal with. I think both men and women have got some issues to deal with. I think there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. I think there's such a thing as toxic femininity but I think there's a particular problem with men in the church and in the wider culture not mm. really knowing how to be to be men anymore. Those those yeah. standard models of being, you know, heroic and mm. strong, tempering that one hopes with being mm. kind and compassionate and gentle. You know, having power but not wielding it in a bad way. Mm. Those models are sort of are sort of those models sort of died to death, really. Which mm. is, I wonder why. When you have a movie like like Top Gun, mm. it may not be the most perfect movie. I'm not a great tom cruise fan to be brutally honest but why you know guys descend on it like uh, mm. they found an oasis in the desert and going yeah. here is something like we can tap into or of course the whole jordan peterson yeah. phenomena that's yeah. faded slightly in recent years mm. but you know here is a guy doing really long lectures on psychology and genesis mm. you know two and a half hour kind of lectures on carl jung and goodness mm. says whatever and would get millions of views yeah lots of commentators picked up on because he'd figured out how to speak to guys, yeah, and right. uh, to speak to that, you know, you've got a lot mm. of guys who haven't got haven't got father figures as well. And some of Jordan's advice, you read his book Twelve Rules for Life. You know, yeah. rule one: stand up straight with your shoulders back. You know, yeah. stop slouching around and and and, mm. and and feeling like you know the world is beating up mm. on you. Come on, get on with it. Mm. And you know, I, I remember reading that stuff, thinking, man, this is this is yeah. fascinating, yeah, absolutely yeah. fascinating. Again, I've got no particular candle to hold for Peterson. I'm just intrigued that again, here is someone who has found there is something that's not being talked about in wider culture. And I think mm. especially not talked about in the church. Yeah, totally right. I mean, you know, you're just opening up all of the, uh, all, all the, the cans for me. I'm, I'm, I could talk about this all day. Um, I, I think um, it's, it's, well, there's so many things to draw from there. I think 
the Peterson one is interesting just that you finished with. Um, I set Peterson's uh, 12 Rules for Life as a text for my on the MA mission that I run on a mentoring mm. course with men and women, of course, involved in it. It was really, really interesting, the controversy that it caused, but I thought it'd be fun to do it um, because at postgraduate level, you're supposed to deal with texts that are challenging. And so um, why? So if people don't like Peterson, why, why don't they? And there's so much that was really helpful in it. There's so much stuff that's a bit odd theologically. He's just not, he's not a Christian. He's clearly kind of not far from the kingdom, as some have said, because he does have this sort of real appreciation and love for Christ. He, he probably will become a Christian. I would be, un, I would be very surprised if he didn't become a Christian because of the things he says and um, talks about in terms of his his love, appreciation and love for Christ, even as the the kind of archetypal motif of self sacrifice and love and and even manliness, which is really interesting. So I think it's really intriguing that this world thought leader um, for young men has, you know, Judeo-Christian, as we, as they say, sort of links or roots or uh, interests, which is interesting. Though he sort of has become a bit more mainstream now. He's sort of been accepted. It was a bit kind of embarrassing to admit someone, or it was a bit, you have to whisper if you'd said you liked Jordan Peterson about five years ago when he sort of came onto the scene. And now I think it's kind of, he's part of the furniture. So people have sort of come to appreciate him. And, and maybe because of that, he's not quite as controversial on some of those uh, issues as he used to be, possibly. Um, or maybe I've just become more uh, more and more extreme myself. Who knows? But I think, I think it is clearly, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, you also mentioned the thing about um, the church in particular. I'm sure there'll be female listeners um, who will, you know, great at the thought of that statistic that, that it's more likely that a, 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 a father will be able to lead a household to, to Christ in a, in a family than, than a mother. I mean, it, it does bear out. It is, it's, it's anecdotally true on loads and loads of levels, but it's also, there are those statistics that were reported in Dave Morrow's book for many years ago now. Maybe someone needs to do a redo of it, of that kind of survey or something, but it was this, the Why Men Hate Going to Church book, of course, that made the rounds. I think that was 2005 that came out. We need a British version of that book um because it but it was really interesting there were things in it i didn't entirely agree with it was kind of a bit businessy corporate um in its sort of style and it and obviously it's stereotypes because you have to stereotype and generalize when you're talking about um about men and women it, it, sorry it's just needed and, and you can't really speak about what masculinity and femininity are without being accused of stereotyping um so you can do it well or you can do it badly so i think it's just better to try and do it well and rather than pretend you don't have to do it at all um so anyway, in that book, he does report that. I think it was 91% um, was the sort of, you know, li- likelihood or something of a comparative to a, maybe 20% of the time uh, if a woman becomes a Christian, of the rest of the family becoming Christian. So if, if, a, if a man becomes a Christian in a household, 90% of the time the rest of the family do, which is really just startling. And that, again, that's been, I've heard that question by feminists um, within evangelical and beyond evangelical spheres because they don't like that statistic. I think it does bear up. And I've met so many people of whom that is the case in loads of different church contexts. So, you know, go figure. Um, but So we, do, we have a real, real uh, job on our hands to try and reach men, for sure. There's so much to say. Let me just pass it over to you and you can uh, jump back in. Otherwise, I'll keep talking all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's... Yes, I think there's a there are a number of things going on here. I think one of the things I'd want to do actually, and again, this is such a huge topic that we could we could talk all day on it, and we could go different directions. But one of the things I was saying to you just before we we hit the record button for the the podcast, I I think one of the elephants in the room here, you know, it be it's almost too easy and too tempting to say, okay, 
there's a problem with masculinity, the problem is feminism, okay, let's take a pop at feminism, and of course we're going to offend lots of, of people, and probably, you know, they'd be quite right to throw stones at us, because I think that's a, that's a bit of, that's almost, well, a, you know, it's almost you know. like shooting fish, well, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of, there's a little, there's a little bit of shooting fish in a barrel going on there, mm. there are some critiques that can be made, mm. I think there's a bigger issue back of both those things, I think one of the reasons why, why feminism has gone wrong in a number of places, and one of the reasons why masculinity has gone wrong in a number of places, I think there's the whole sexual revolution piece that lies behind this. I think there's, mm-hmm. we talked on the show before about Mary Ebstard's book, Primal Screams, that I've, yeah. you know, I've read and reread yeah. this year. And I think there's so much wisdom in that book. And what's clever about that book, she's coming at the whole question of the sexual revolution and male and female and, and, and sexuality. She's coming at both as a Christian, but also as an anthropologist and a sociologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, and her point is that, you know, human beings, whether you have a faith or not, human beings are social animals, either because mm. God's made us that way or because we're social primates. Mm. And when you destroy the family life of social primates mm. and social creatures, things go badly wrong in, yeah. in a number of ways. And, of course, the sexual revolution came along and blew up relationships between men and women in a huge number of ways. And then mm. I just the other day came across another book in the same vein written by a feminist. Mm. Um, so Louise Perry wrote, has written the book The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. A new guide to sex in the twenty first century, making a similar kind of case. And one of the arguments that she, she that she makes in, in in her book, I believe, I'd say I believe because I have yet I've got it in order. I've read several reviews of Louise's book and gone right. I desperately need to mm-hmm. dig into this. Is that one of the things that before the sexual revolution came along was that sex largely was operated within was within the context of marriage. Yes, there were some sort of ways off the reservation where where people could go misbehave, but generally mm-hmm. for the vast majority of human beings, if you wanted to have a sexual relationship, you had to be married. And particularly mm-hmm. for guys, that actually had a socializing effect on young men because yeah. you weren't going to you weren't going to get a woman, you weren't going to uh, uh, be able to get married if you had a reputation of being a total bloody nightmare. And so there was a socializing effect that it had. On the other side of it, m- w- women who are wired for stability and longer term relationships and wanting security, um, you know, it's, it tends to be men who have that temp- temptation to go and sow their wild oats left, right, and mm. center because there are no consequences if mm. you do that as a guy. There are for, for women. Again, marriage worked well for that. If you're a young woman and you want a stability, marriage is there for you. The moment along mm. comes the sexual revolution, uh, it brings with it the pill, which decouples. D- the act of sexual intimacy with child rearing mm. and suddenly people can have sex whenever they want to. Mm. Women are increasingly encouraged to have sex in the way that men do uh, all over the place without any consequences and attachment. And suddenly two things happen. Women end up desperately unhappy because mm-hmm. there's not that security there. And Louise's book is fascinating. She's not a Christian, but it's a real, she talks in that book about, you know, that, that desire and the struggle she had to yeah. find a long-term relationship, somebody who would invest in her rather than see her as a one night stand material because mm. Her argument being, and others have made the point in the past as well, you know, for a young woman today, if you want a relationship with stability and security, you know, young men can look at you and go, mm. why would I give you that? There's a thousand and one women over here yeah. who'll do the one night stand. So no, thank you. Mm. On the other side of it, what it's done for men is to say it's taken away that civilizing effect. Mm. And it's also the other effect it's had. You've created the sort of alpha male phenomena where you mm. have, you know, one guy who's got all the charisma and sexual attraction or more of it you know, hoovers up relationships with multiple women, leaving mm. people without access to that pool of sexual partners. And lo and behold, what's happened, you've created the incel movement mm. and a whole generation of incredibly angry young men who feel, yeah. you know, who feel they're never going to have a relationship yeah. and behave in outrageous ways mm. 
but the seeds for that were sown by the Soap Revolution. Absolutely. Now, before you send me angry letters in uh, in crayon or whatever, I'm just par- I'm basically paraphrasing <laughs> Louise's arguments. I'm paraphrasing Wendy Shallot, a return to modesty. I'm paraphrasing Mary Ebstad. That's one Christian, one liberal Jew, and one atheist. Um, and so I think, anyway, all that to say, Aaron, I think the sexual revolution and what it's done to relationships has caused massive problems for, for women, and it's caused massive problems for men. And I think what's interesting, it's not the church now leading the cry for a re- revisiting of sexual mores. It's actually, ironically, it's, it's secular writers who are yeah. saying we need to revisit these things. That, yeah. that, that's the whole cry of Louise's book, not a cry to mm-hmm. not. She says, I'm not trying to argue for a return to Victorian values, as she puts it. But I am arguing that actually we need to stop and mm-hmm. revisit things because the sexual revolution has not paid off. Yeah, gosh. Well, firstly, Andy, you are ever the wonderful apologist, uh, caveating yourself away from caveating protesters. Caveating myself away from controversy. <laughs> well, I, yes. I could see the feminists placarding at your window. Uh, yeah, just kind of throwing stones. I'm on the second worry. floor, but, you know, I'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. I quoted several women, don't worry. I think they're quite good. Um, you know, I agree. I think it's really, really this, you know, again, loads in there. I think the, um, the issue we have at the moment um, is... Issue, one of the many issues, but I think it's one that isn't spoken of. The reason why you have secular writers speaking about lots of stuff and the church not is because we've said this many times before, but the church, we've been embarrassed by parts of the Bible which speak into this. Um, you know, sexuality, male, masculinity, femininity, um, differences between men and women. We've talked with an episode on that before. It's a much, much bigger deal. It's much, you know, it's held in a very sacred way, I think, in scripture. So theologically, we've really lost our way and we've been too worried about trying to uh, placate the, maybe the placarders. We've been placating the placarders rather than trying to put up a positive uh, vision of what God might um, have for men and women in their difference and in their glorious difference. Um, And I think, one thing we're not doing, as you mentioned the incels, is there are a frightening amount of young men who are drawn, probably maybe were originally drawn to Jordan Peterson, maybe they're not so much now, I don't know. Um, but they're drawn to really weird voices on the right who will actually take them in a more kind of Darwinian direction, who will just see, see it, as you say, in terms of like, how can I have sex with as many women as I can? How can I make myself as attractive and appealing to women as I can? How can I tap into these kind of anthropological dynamics that are more bestial um and so some of what they actually say you have to you have to be able to say this um as much as people want to just write them all off and say they're all complete morons what a great winsome missional attitude that is we would not do that with loads of other groups but when it comes to kind of weird you know right-leaning men you can just write them all off and say they're idiots and they need to learn to not be idiots and then i'll then i'll talk to them no we can't do that you need to how are you going to reach them how are you going to try and actually evangelize? If you need to speak their language, you need to be able to affirm some of the things that they affirm. What are they seeing that's really important? What are they seeing that's really not good about a, a feminized culture and a feminized men? Um, and how can we stop them then moving into genuinely toxic behavior rather than just calling any assertiveness uh, from a man toxic, which is kind of what we've become accustomed to do. So I think we're really miss- we're missing a trick. We're, we're actually failing in our duty missionally if we just think we can leave these people to their kind of, you know, clandestine um, chat groups online and you know, kind of YouTube channels that they're kind of watching. I saw a really interesting article I mentioned to you, Andy. I think recently by Aaron Wren, who's a guy who's been pushing this 
um, recently in the last few years. He's, he writes a newsletter called The Masculinist. I'd actually recommend it. He's, he's really interesting, thinks about this a lot and links to loads of different kind of stuff on this issue, trying to say how can we support men better as the church. Um, he's a little bit overly sociological in his analyses. A lot of the time he's kind of often just looking at it as pure sociology. There's not quite enough theology in there, but maybe that's not the point. Um, and one of the things he looked at is why are men, the recent article was, uh, why do why men tune into online gurus instead of the church? And and he's referring to these videos that men will often watch that get masses of hits. Um, that are basically telling them how to be a stronger man, how to be someone who can lead in a relationship. And it's not necessarily relating to marriage. Often is it, it can be relating to marriage, but often it's just how can I lead in a relationship? How can I be more assertive? Um, how can I get women to want to have sex with me often? It's the, sadly, it's often the, the way that, that that ends up. So you don't have Christian voices in there to say, okay, I can see why it's really helpful for men to be assertive, to be bold, to be sacrificial, to have confidence. Um, but actually, there's a whole other element that the Bible speaks into about kind of biblical masculinity, the, the model that Jesus gives us of gentleness, this kind of thing. Um, and, and indeed, in, in all, throughout the New Testament, we have so many caveats on how men aren't just to go around basically creating a world in which they just get to win all the time but neither is it the case that we just lay everything down and don't actually do anything so we use the idea of humility to just lay everything down when you think about jesus's example in philippians 2 it says he obviously laid down his divinity didn't see divinity or his equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the nature of a servant and we'd sort of interpret that as going so jesus didn't even try to do anything or assert himself because of philippians 2 said he was humble now Jesus lived his life in a very odd way if his idea of humility is like how we often speak about it today for men. So we tell men, stop trying to kind of assert yourself in any way because that's probably toxic. Jesus did loads of stuff which today would be seen as toxic behavior. He does, he goes out and calls disciples, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then calls them to go and make more disciples to kind of get people to follow their example as they imitate Christ, as Paul himself says as well so i think loads of the stuff he does he speaks out he, he he's aggressive and kind of you know confronting things that that need to be challenged that kind of thing they, those are quite masculine behaviors and they're not the normal things you'd associate with the humility in inverted commas which just means i won't say anything i'll be passive i'll stay out of trouble i'll make sure that no one talks about me ever Jesus kind of did that to some extent, you could say, in terms of uh, his own Christological mission. But he doesn't just shy away and back out. He actually is pretty assertive. He's quite a really, really great example of masculinity, actually, I would say. Of course, he's an example of humanity for men and women in loads of ways. But he's particularly, he is a man. His maleness is not irrelevant. And I think we need to recover that. And previous generations did see that more clearly. You know, even um, one final point I'll say before I hand over back, hand this baton back to you, Andy is um, we mentioned the Victorian era. We often, you know, look at the Victorian era like it was terrible. They actually had a quite, we, you know, they had a really strong grasp of masculinity and relating it to Christ. There's a book by, what's his name? The guy who wrote Tom Brown's School Days, which we'll refer to when we finally do our episode on muscular Christianity one day. Uh, the name um, is a Thomas, bleh, I've forgotten it right now. It'll come back to me some other time. Anyway, he wrote a book called The Manliness of Christ. Um, and that's really what Thomas used. That was it. Um, the manliness of Christ. So he's the whole series of lectures to young men in, in that time, which is trying to kind of say, this is a great example. Jesus's life is a great example of how to be a man, which is really, really good. Now, all these guys who are watching these right, right leaning channels or these channels that are just about 
um, self-serving motives for how to be a better man, yes, which is kind of good in some ways, but not good in other ways. It doesn't have the Christian element in there. Is it, we're really missing out. So if we really want to reach these people, we need to start thinking about this. We need to start going back to Scripture and rereading the passages that might actually help us make sense of some of the confusions in our time. Mm. Oh gosh, this quite <laughs> Well, the first thing is I love where you 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 lit you connected that and the whole point about mission. But I think to me, there's there's two traps that I think Christians can and the church can fall into around this whole issue one is the more the more common one which is that you just run away from it and don't talk about it and just go oh gosh you know we're going to offend somebody so we'll say absolutely nothing and just follow the culture i think particularly the mainstream churches are increasingly we've talked about this and bother the gaps before have this tendency to just follow the culture mm. rather than than plow the way of christ the other way of course is just wade into the culture war just cause gratuitous offense for no reason other than causing gratuitous offense and to just look like the other the, the worst successes of the world rather mm. than try and find that what is that jesus that jesus way and as you were talking there about christ of course i mean philippians 2 you know is a great is a great passage because of course even there it's interesting right it talks about him you know laying aside his 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 godhood as it were his div- his divine mm. nature and mm. taken the form of a servant. But then of course he goes the way of the cross. So he treads the way of courage and bravery. He is mm. the he is mm. the he is the hero. Uh and that he doesn't just sit there sit there passively, mm. but actually, you know, walks into the face of of, of death mm. unflinching, sets his mm. face like flint. Mm. Um but the other thing that occurred to me as well as you talk about that, of course, the other thing we forget about Jesus is clearly whatever model of masculinity he was modeling, it was deeply attractive to those around him in a very masculine culture. When I mean, you look yeah. at his you look at his inner disciple group. I was just jotting down names, of course, as you were going. We've got Simon the Zealot. The yeah. Zealots were like assassins. Yeah, yeah. They were like they were like they were the hard. They were the terrorists. They yeah. thought the way you dealt with Rome was yeah. you went around killing as many Romans as possible, as messily as possible. But there's something that Simon had seen. It was like, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. Hmm. You have the you have James and John, the you know the sons of thunder, who are hmm. who are who, you know whose very nicknames suggest these are not hmm. you know sort of people <laughs> sitting around with with beards and. And caramel lattes. These aren't nice uh, yeah. church boys, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are not woke hipsters. These are they're, they're going to be, you know, quite rough and ready. And of course, you've got Judas Iscariot. And, you know, one theory of where Judas comes from, the name Iscariot potentially is is from Sicarii, the, 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 the guys who went around assassinating, you know, mm-hmm. high profile Romans. So again, you've got a radical there. And there's something, all of those guys, and of course, you know, a huge number of them are fishermen. And yeah. uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of rugged masculine types. But there was something they saw in Jesus, and mm. then, oh gosh, I could see the, the letters coming in at this point. You know, you look at the contemporary church, and you do wonder: Have we? Can we really? Most churches speak to those those crowds that that type of audience again. And in fact, mm. actually, what's interesting, I look back through, you know, my Christian history. And, you know, I, I, I've been very impressed, actually, by Christian friends, but they stand out because they're rare. You know, I've got a, I've got a friend, a, a, well, loose friend of mine in the Midlands whose ministry is going into working men's clubs and pubs and just preaching the gospel in those pretty rough environments. And, and Carl is no nonsense. He's absolutely no nonsense, because if you try anything funny, you ain't going to engage mm. the, the guys that he speaks to. And I've seen mm. many come to Christ. A friend of mine. You know, 30 years ago, uh, Alan, who was a, a Salvation Army officer, and again, you know, the, he would go into the pubs in South London and mm. the ability that he had to to reach guys mm. because they saw something in him mm. 
that was attractive. He was bold. He was courageous. Yeah. He was strong. But he was there's a gentleness there. Yeah. As as well. But I think those models are fewer and fewer. And then to throw it in, to throw things into the mix. Then on top of that, we have a lot of mainstream churches increasingly have even forgotten what male and female oh, are. There was a story. Oh, don't don't get me started. Right. There was a story in the papers just a, a few days ago. How the Anglican? Well, not to be fair, not not all. We got to be careful not to say all Anglicans. Uh, but an Anglican bishop, one of the senior leadership, and you know, has basically come out and gone. Well, it's it's no one's really sure what a woman is, and by extension, of course, no one's really sure what a man is. You know, these are just social constructs. And to go, okay, if you've gone full woke, we've got previous episodes on you know things like how they destroy domination and when Christian leaders go woke. But if you literally cannot articulate or even recognize there might be such a thing as a man and a woman, how mm. the heck are you going to reach real mm. men and real women in today's culture? Because mission is what concerns me. Mm. Aaron, I'm mm. not, you know, I am an apologist. I am an evangelist at uh, 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 heart. I know you've got that heart too. You know, the reason I get animated about these issues, mm. and I know you do too, mm. is because I want to see Christ impact culture, and Absolutely. I want to see men and women come to faith in Christ. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. When you see, you know, Anglican bishops like that particular idiot, and I'm yeah. sorry, I'm not going to mince my words, um, you know, fiddling yeah. around with this stuff and going, that has absolutely zero to do mm. with actually reaching mm. the men and the women in the in in the street. Most people know what a man and a woman is. Yeah. Most people, what most people don't know is how to be those things. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the church believes on these things. They don't know who Jesus is. Yeah. And if the bishop down the road, all he's concerned about is, well, we don't actually really know what a woman is. Mm. To go, well. Quite frankly, it's time to hang up the funny pink robe and go and do something useful with your life and let oh. somebody else get into the job who can reach the city. Amen. I, th- I think, I mean, you know, it was so maddening to see. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but that was that was channeling. That phrase, The phrase was actually, I think they were asked, he was the bishop of the bishop, uh, what's the guy's name? Someone Innes, I think it was. Um, and he was asked whether, yeah, what the kind of, what the definition of a woman is, and he's, I think his response was, "There is the Church of England has no official definition." And the, I found the the use of the phrase "official" kind of particularly troubling. There, it almost seemed like bureaucratic um, in its sort of response, sort of just saying, "Well, technically speaking, officially speaking, we don't have never actually had to say uh, what a woman is." And he did actually go on then, I think, to say that you know because these things were previously self evident. Then to open out this this idea, but now of course it's very complex, and we need to kind of think much more clearly. Oh, no, not less clearly, more vaguely, more ambiguously, more broadly about these issues, as we try to do with everything. And so the the battle for the dictionary is with us yet again. I, I increasingly think that our changes of terminology are becoming a kind of superpower of our age. That we just we we change words to try to affect realities and. Um, it's it's quite frightening, really. And so, of course, what chance does the Church of England have, you know, to try and speak into these kind of men if they're even fuddling around about what a woman is? And how frustrating is that must be for women and for feminists even who would disagree with me on loads of stuff, but they must be frustrated by this as well to say, well, we don't even know really what a woman is. And then at the same time, we had this um, saw a, a, a news article, actually it was posted by uh, on Pink News, an LGBT kind of, Look, I, I'm glad to see the kind of things that you read. Well, you know, I'm I'm quite broad, as you know, I'm a metropolitan guy, um, and I think it, it it was speaking about two gay a gay couple who are suing their IVF clinic 
for a baby they kind of ordered they sort of you know ordered a baby um and it came out as a daughter and so they're suing the clinic because they wanted a son and i was just thinking well you know you could have asked the cv to kind of assuage your fears there and just told you well it's not you know what is a daughter we don't even know what a daughter is just call it just call it a son and then it will be a son lo and behold you can just change the terminology and the reality changes we apparently think because we live in a a virtual travesty of reality right now. So I think there's things there which it really gets into these issues. And I think it's not, as you said earlier, it's not good for women. This is one example where the sexual revolution has led to so many really bad things that, that are worse for women. So when we end up as men on a podcast, for example, talking about men, we're not just talking about something that's going to be, we don't want to fight for men's rights per se, although that can be relevant as well. We care about women actually by caring about men. And that's something that I think we've also lost because we're unwilling to say that men have a significant influence not only on women of course which they do but on the world shaping the world in a really yeah. significant way the most of the pioneers and, and this is going to get me in all sorts of trouble because i'm sure there are loads of women who've done great pioneering things but the vast majority of the the greatest pioneers in history in any cultural sphere religious or otherwise have been men um, and you could say well that's just because the men were in charge and they had all the structures they had all the power and so until we had the glory of um the 19th and 20th century. Now, of course, women will be, you know, 50% of women will be pioneering all of the new ventures and things and, and taking those kind of risks. They just won't. So we can still be doing this in 200 years and you will not have the same effect. You will have a vast majority of men who are going to be culture shaping and, and pioneering in all sorts of spheres of culture. So you can either like pretend that isn't the case and just drift off into obscurity or you can embrace that and go, okay, how can we do this well? How can we make these men better men how can we actually allow them to be discipled by christ in a really profound way rather than just sort of again sticking our head in the sand and going oh, i don't want this to be the case because i've got all these bad examples of when men do it badly of course we have we've all got terrible examples of men acting misogynistically um, or toxically whatever you want to say but we need to find ways of, of reaching them and doing it better um yeah there's just there's so much to say on it you know and one final thing i'll say actually you can say what you think about this we keep seeing um people ripping on the likes of mark driscoll you know as a as a leader who was quite big on um pushing men and, and, ch and challenging men to to be more manly and to kind of take responsibility to be more self-sacrificial to love their wives to, to to go out and actually assert themselves in positive ways in the world and in their churches and in mission um and since everything that happened with the, with the fall of mars hill of course there's the famous podcast the rise and fall of mars hill which many have been listening to over the last year or so I mean, it's almost as though everything that was associated with the fall of that church can, can just be put on the belief, the strong belief he had about the importance of, of reaching men, which I think is really, really foolish at this time. And in many ways, I think we need voices like that again in the church who are going to call men to account, who are going to challenge them. And that's going to be, if you can do that well, if you can do it in a biblically faithful way, that's going to be better for women. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think just coming back to the Anglican piece, I think as well, mm. one of the things that, of course, you know, uh, folks listening to that may be thinking, well, of course, that's just one one bishop and maybe we're over egging things. One of my worries, Aaron, is that ideology then obviously trickles all the way down. Mm. Um, I wasn't sure if to tell this story or not, but I'm, I'm going to tell it. So we, <laughs> were, it. Uh, we were in church on, on Sunday, started, a, you know, you know, we've moved in the last couple of months, so we're, we're looking for churches. And there's a there's a local Anglican church plant near where we live. We, you know, quite like so many good things going there. We're enjoying going. But they, they did a congregational survey on Sunday morning. Apparently, they did this every year. That's just a really good idea, actually, because if you want to know, you know, what your church is doing and the demographics, and you know, are the church 
you know, sort of really helping people growing crowds. Great idea. And they even took like 10 minutes out of the Sunday morning services to, to have people stop and fill it. I was like, brilliant. So I opened up the form. Question one, age. That's a painful question, actually, because I've, 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 you know, I've, I've migrated up the categories. And I'm always like, now I'm 49. Where are they going to put me? Are they going to put me with the 40 year olds? And, and God bless them, they're a 40 to 49 category. I'm not yet in the. <laughs> but then I looked at the next question. Question number one was age. Question number two, gender, male, female, other, or prefer not to say. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And I confess, I circled it and wrote, really? Exclamation mark. And then I put a footnote and I went, guys, you've confused. Because nothing, well, firstly, you confuse sex and gender, uh, quite frankly. I said, yeah. I presume that what the church leadership wants to know is, you know, how many men, how many women in the church, because that affects the whole range of how we provide services and, you know, the different roles for different pastors. There's a women's pastor, I think, on the team and, and other stuff. Um, you know, how somebody prefers to self-identify actually surely much further down the list. But I was like, man, this is an evangelical Anglican church who probably, to be fair to them, that's just either cock up or just being well-meaning and not having thought through the theological implication. Mm. But I, you're stuff, very then, charitable. You're very charitable. I am very... Very of course, they now know it's you because of not well, not only because this. I realise that. I love, well, but I, I, but they'll have known anyway because they're like, who's who's likely to put a footnote on a on a survey that on we a put? Probably my name will have come <laughs> up, and I tried to not be too cross. But I think what again, where this for me the rubber hits the road is then in terms of mission of going. If you if you literally are confused about stuff like this, how on earth can you can you engage people? How also can you engage the majority of people who have not subscribed to the so the woke nonsense, I'm struck mm. by, you know, having moved into a new community and getting to know neighbours and things. Most of the neighbors, you know, most of the people we're getting to know in, in this part of, you know, where we're living, they're not Christians. They're not, they're not, you know, going around swallowing this hook, line and sinker. They're trying to get on with, you know, paying the bills because we're in an economic mm. turndown. You're dealing with uh, mm. all the stuff that life throws at you. You know, many of them in broken relationships and there's chaos of parenting and goodness mm. ever. And if, if anything the church is concerned about is, well, what gender are you? Of going, oh my good grief, yeah. we are, we are, we are in trouble. The other mm. thing, by the way, one other thing, this boy, I feel the complaints are going to come because there's there's bombshell after bombshell in this episode. <laughs> but um, the other thing I've thought for a while, you when you talked about all of this as well being bad for women, not just bad for men, which I think is is a great place to keep coming back to because I think it's easy to be misheard on this. It's not, you know, I I've got no time for this sort of you know some of the extreme men's rights nonsense. What I'm interested in is healthy discussions around around sex and, and sexuality um i've got a, one of my little theories i can't prove this so i'm going to go out on a limb here is that uh, but i think mary Epstein in primal screams is um that book is is on a similar kind of track that one of the things that sowed the, the seed for the transgender uh kind of revolution and ideology that we're confronting everywhere in culture right now is that we've messed up gender roles and mm-hmm. to go as feminism went from being merely, you know, we've talked in previous episodes, haven't we? When feminism began, it was really uh, somebody labeled it, labeled it difference feminism. Feminism began mm. by recognizing there are differences between men and women. They're not identical, but look, women are entitled to all of the things that men have. They're entitled to the vote. They're quite it's a fair pay and all this other stuff. And absolutely categorically right. Of course, the train didn't stop there. It never did. It went on mm. through that station and out the other side. Yeah. It started claiming all kinds of other things, such that. I think men then began increasingly to feel on the back foot. A lot of men felt it was bad to even be a man. Every example mm. you hear of masculinity in culture is negative. Well, what then happens? Why are we then surprised that some men decide the best thing to do is say, well, I'm not really a man. 
I'm really mm. a woman. Mm. And then, of course, what the irony now that the transgender card now trumps the feminism card. And yeah. feminism, of course, is now struggling because, you know, if you are not a feminist who agrees that a man, you know, if I come out and say I'm a woman, I'm a woman who deserves to be treated the same as any other woman, you know, we have labels for you, right? Mm. Society will label you. You're a witch, you're a heretic, you're a, you're a mm-hmm. turf, a trans-exclusionary, reactionary yeah. feminist, and on it goes. But what's laid the ground for that has been a totally unhealthy conversation about feminism and masculinity. And mm. that lies behind, I think, the transgender movement today. So getting these conversations out into the open, talking more openly about what is biblical femininity, what is biblical masculinity look like? How do both sexes, what are the ways that both sexes go wrong? What does toxic, to- what does toxic masculinity look like? What does toxic femininity mm. look like? Having those conversations in a healthy, open way where we listen to one another, that actually, ironically, is perhaps the beginning of a solution to the mm. transgender nonsense yeah think, how, can yeah. We, how can we model as the church how we yeah. do that well because yeah. i think the world is looking for those conversations yeah totally and, and i think you know this is why we have to be so frustrated at the uh not being able to get the foundations right because there's so many more important discussions to have than to have these sort of basic level ones about what is a man or woman um and indeed you know challenging the the trans agenda and, and all the rest of it which does affect as you say men and women in, in really well, women in very particular ways um i Talk about the men's rights thing is interesting. Chatting to a, a couple recently, um, actually, let me let me name them just so that they can um, go and tell all their friends and get more listeners. So, so we really love a couple called James and Natty recently through our homeschooling network, and they've she had Natty had recently had, had had a past in the men's rights movement, kind of advocating for men's rights, and actually got in trouble as a woman got in trouble by a uh, with an organisation called Hope Not Hate, who kind of try to get people in trouble and accuse them of all sorts of things. I don't know if she'd stand by everything she did, but she did get, find herself really frustrated by some uh, feminism. But obviously her being a woman didn't stop getting the kind of hate that came her way for sticking up for men in some way, which is really interesting. But what's interesting about them also is that they've both recently become Christians. And they became Christians in a way which is really increasingly what I'm seeing, uh, are hearing about testimonies of people who are getting so frustrated with the world and they're finding something in historic Christianity which has foundations and has roots in ways that nothing else in Western culture seems to have at the moment. Everything's in flux. And we've sort of, not only is everything in flux, but we've sort of um, accepted or owned the fact that that's how it has to be, that everything's constantly fluid, whether we're talking about gender or objective reality at all, you know, in all sorts of different ways. We, we've accepted this ridiculous, constantly oscillating, constantly deconstructing ourselves approach to society, culture, um, and humanity, really. And so eventually you kind of look at where else do you go? Where is there a place to put my roots down? I've got, you know, often people end up having children. And they go, what kind of world do I want my children to grow up in? What kind of worldview do I want them to have? What way, how do I want them to be formed? On what basis do I want them to be formed? Do I even have a vision for life? And I think increasingly people are seeing there's something quite profound about almost un- unearthing a lost treasure in Christianity, which we've been we've been kind of apologizing for Christianity in the West for the last hundred years or so, attaching all sorts of other narratives to it. Yes, the church has done all sorts of dodgy stuff over time and still is doing dodgy stuff. But on what basis do you critique it? You can only critique the things as dodgy from the basis of the good stuff that Christianity has actually given us, that Christ has revealed through his word and his presence and his Holy Spirit throughout the church as well. Um, and so it's really interesting to see increasingly conversions of people, uh, men men as well as women, who are kind of seeing that they need foundations again. And I'm, I'm really excited 
by those kind of testimonies and stories. And I'm really hoping that we can see more of that. But we're not going to see more of those unless we actually start going right. Let's let's actually champion this and speak about it. Yeah. So it's it really is a crucial um, missional issue, isn't it? It's not just like a side well, issue. Oh, um, yeah. gender and sex is not really doesn't really matter very much. It's a sideshow. Yeah. No, it isn't. It's actually pretty central. And it connects into we're not we won't go down this rabbit trail. Maybe this is a, a rabbit trail for a future episode. But it connects into you know obviously we've had a little bit of critique at the the Church of England on this episode. But don't worry, we will pick on other denominations. We are equal opportunity offenders. But, you know, as well as the, the gender nonsense, of course, there have been bishops in, in recent weeks have come out and, you know, I think even the Archbishop of Canterbury has sort of said, talked about the church being institutionally racist and, you know, suggestions that, you know, we should go back and cancel large parts of the past and tear down statues and apologise for everything. And and I think there's something, what made me think about it, actually, um, is that as we record this, there's a, a few days ago, the British Prime Minister resigned and uh, for a whole series of scandals. And so there's a big leadership campaign going on for the, you know who's going to be the leader of the Conservative Party mm-hmm. and therefore the Prime Minister. And what's fascinating is one of the outsiders in that race, who if I was a, if I was a Conservative Party member I'd be voting for, is a Nigerian uh, lady called Kemi Badenoch. And I don't know if Kemi is a, is a Christian. She's coming from Nigeria. I expect she's got some kind of faith background. But to see somebody who is young, black, British, you know, female, confident, not standing on an anti-men ticket, not standing mm-hmm. on an anti-West ticket, actually saying, you know, the West need to stand up and be confident mm-hmm. about the past because there's so much to be proud of. And to someone who is proud to be British, who could teach someone like, you know, you and me a thing or two about, about confidence in the public square, actually. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think that actually there's people are looking for something different. And she's getting a lot of traction, I think, because yeah. people are saying, this is refreshing. And I think there's a lesson here for the church of going, look, that doesn't mean we where there's where there's sin or there's you know where the church has done something in the past or when men have done something that needs addressing we address it but there's something about speaking positively and winsomely mm-hmm. and attractively offering you know a model of you know as we engage and we think about mission of being able to talk about our heritage and our culture and our past and our sexuality um and our gender in ways that people go okay you're not afraid to actually stand mm-hmm. up and go yeah you know it's it's a good thing you know mm-hmm. you and i i'm, I'm you know i'm a I'm a white um, heterosexual male. <laughs> the, um, was uh, troubling for a moment there. Was it? I know. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say I'm proud to be those things, but I'm grateful to God that he's made me that way. That doesn't mean I look down on others who are different, but I don't feel the need to somehow, because of any of those labels, therefore go, oh, I should somehow be sort of, you know, cringe-worthingly hiding in a corner and wringing my hands and mm. going, I can't, I can't speak about anything, mm. of going... Yeah, I need to recognise others have a different story. I need to be willing to listen to those those stories and not and not and not drown them out. Mm. But I think the church. This is all part of this bigger story. We're going to be talking about this at at, um, at Cedarwood uh, for those who who either can get along to that live recording if you're in the Durham area, or will obviously record it after listen to others. I think the idea we're going to talk about there, aren't we, on on that on which will be the next episode after this is mm. why has the church lost its confidence? Yeah, why have we forgotten? how to talk about these things and it's everything actually it's not mm. just gender it's culture it's mm. history it's even i fear in some parts of the, the culture the gospel yeah. Um, um yeah kind of thing you know just down the road from us there's a, i'm gonna sound like i'm picky on them but it's a local anglican church about five <laughs> miles down the road from us and they've got um they've got a sign outside the door that says you know we welcome visitors of, of all faiths no matter where you are on your journey of spirituality or whatever and i'm like well, okay, if you can be very generous, that's 
anyone is welcome to come in and look around the building. That's great, of mm. course. My worry is that actually with one or two other sort of bits of, you know, paraphernalia mm. around that church, that's a kind of, you know, we don't want to talk about the exclusivity mm. of Christ. If you're on a different pathway, you can mm. follow that too. And it's all part of this bigger mm. loss of confidence. So the, the gender thing, I know we've rambled in this episode, it may feel, but I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, actually. Oh, yeah. A much much bigger issue. It's also it, it's funny that you note that your that other local Anglican church um, that that inclusivity thing about like oh we welcome you regardless of whatever you've done whoever you are whatever kind of sins you've done like, I'd, I'd be really interested to know if people would be willing to use that phrase if someone came in as a raving like racist and misogynist which would be awful but imagine if they came in then are they going to say that are they going to use their same shtick and go like. Don't worry. You just be exactly as you are. I, you know, I don't like all these judgmental people who talk about sin all the time. We don't want all these people who just talk endlessly about sin and judgment. You just carry on being who you are. Well, what if what if you get a misogynist, racist, homophobe comes in, just just going at it, saying these are my views. I'm just going to kind of interrupt and blast in like that. Are you, you going to allow that? Are you going to you, you know how are you going to respond to that person? I'd like to say that they would they'd probably be challenged and go, yes, we would try our best to welcome them and try to curb them as you should. Or try to speak to them and challenge them, which I presume they would, but they wouldn't do that in the same way for someone who's guilty of other kinds of sins. So it comes back to this issue in culture where some sins are worse than others in our culture's eyes, and the church listens mm. too much to the culture. So then it kind of creates this oh, weird yeah. um, canon within the canon over what sins are kind of God is okay with and what sins he's not okay with. And there are some that kind of, you know, are unforgivable, kind of, in a way. So, so this links into it. So that's why I do think you're right. Gender's the tip of an iceberg. It's also it's like fundamental. Um, it's fundamental because who do we are as human beings, of course, yes. what our sex is. So how we literally see ourselves and act as human beings in the world, it's kind of foundational as well as the tip of an iceberg. It's not like, oh, the gender thing, you get that out of the way, and then there's all these other stuff opens up. Actually, it's I see increasingly as bound up in, in kind of fund, it's fundamental anthropological dynamics, and therefore the gospel, who we are as people, let alone all the analogies, let's say the analogy of Christ and the church, which is a chivalric analogy we have in Ephesians 5. But we won't go into all this, all, all that stuff. We'll, we'll save that for some other time. But I just think it's That's really interesting to see. Yeah, foundational as well as as well yes. as the tip. Well, I think so. And I think, conscious that we're approaching the hour mark, and we need to find some way of landing the aircraft of uh, this episode. Oh, good point. Top Gun reference, by the way. See, I, exactly. I looped back to the, the beginning. You looped the loop. Uh, I, exactly. I, loop, I looped it looped. And um, you throw me there. Yes, was that what I found interesting? And I think that it, we, we've hinted at this, in this episode several times how I think folks outside the church are, are going on these journeys is that where I think the gospel is so interesting is I think you can start with it almost with an evolutionary discussion with somebody. I mean, this is where Jordan Peterson, of course, in 12 Rules for Life, I think, has played around with, with stuff a bit that, you know, evolution has, you know, if that's the only game in town, has laid some frameworks down for the way mm. that men and women, male and female in biology, tend to tend to operate. Now, here's mm. the thing. The gospel imperative, I think, is to say, if we live in a purely materialistic universe, we did a show on materialism, didn't we, a few episodes back, that's all you have. Mm. And actually, there's a real problem, because that mm. is going to lead to toxic masculinity. Mm. Um but there's nothing you can do because genetically men are wired to be stronger. Men are wired. In fact, Louise Perry in, 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 in her book, one of her controversial passages talks about the fact that there's an evolutionary argument as to why, why rape has emerged mm. because as a survival strategy, there's something to be said for it. And, and one of the things she wrestles with, I think as a secularist is, well, how do you therefore tackle that? 
Gosh, and of course, well, yeah. then comes the gospel at that point. And he goes, well, we are, there is something fundamental about the way we're made. God has made us male and female, but mm. we are not just our biology. We are far more than our biology. Mm. And the mm. Christian faith gives you that means of addressing and recognizing the fact there are urges in you that are not helpful. Mm. Um, the Bible has a language for that, the language of sin. But that doesn't just lend, leave you writhing around in guilt and going, you are a guy, you are terrible. Mm. Going, actually, you're a guy or you're a girl. The stuff in you that's fundamental, because God has put it there, the stuff that is terrible, it's called sin, but that is not the end of the story. Mm. And I love the fact we keep coming back to this this, this narrative, this gospel arc on Paul of the Gaps, which I think is important, right? That the gospel, there are two sides of the gospel, aren't there? There's a diagnosis of sin, mm. and there's the offer of forgiveness and grace. Mm. Take either of those out, and you, I don't know what you have, but it's not the gospel. If you just offer people grace and a pat on the head mm. and don't call out what's gone wrong, that's not the Christian faith. Mm. That's just therapy. Mm. Um, if equally you point the finger and you accuse and you say, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, basically leave it there. Without that's a solution. condemnation. Yeah. And that's Phariseeism. Mm. Put those two <clears throat> things together yeah. and you have something unique and wonderful and Absolutely. Christian. And it's worth noting, uh, just that we very briefly, that we – We've done this before. Christianity has converted the Romans, the barbarians, the Goths, the Vikings. The Vikings. And, and lead the Vikings. It always goes back to the Vikings at the moment. And I think that's exactly as you're saying, is that dual approach, really being tough and going, this is wrong. This is not how you act. This is not what you're allowed to do um, if you want to follow, if you want to honour God. And actually bringing the, preaching the fear of God into people as well. That's how many missionaries converted some of these very masculine men um, historically, who then had profound cultural influence on the rest of their culture, like the like like nations being converted, often because the king was converted and it was a good idea to follow the king or the, or the chieftain or whatever it was. But the God worked through a lot of those mass conversions as much as some of them could be very problematic and lead to nominalism. And it came through people being very, very clear, bold and tough about what God was against as much as what he was for, offering that forgiveness and then calling people to what it means to be a disciple of this masculine man who who is himself also god and and the amazing beauty of that that god became a man and i don't, I don't want to just make that too much of that in terms of excluding women from that mm. i just want to say there's something quite profound that men need to get hold of and we should be preaching that uh, more mm. today and i think that is a great place to uh, to bring the little aircraft or the big aircraft in for a landing so i uh boy we've covered a lot on this on the show hopefully there is something in the last 57 minutes for everybody hopefully at some point we've offended you at some point we've made you think at some point we've encouraged you but i hope in all of it we point to to christ who is obviously the ultimate model for all of us male or female and also the of course the the only hope for the healing of all of us masculine or feminine and mm. i've been andy bannister i've been aaron been edwards and his beard and uh again just a quick plug if you're in the durham area do check out Cedarwood Festival. There'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, if not, we'll catch the live episode next time. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this. Do spread the word about the show. And we'll be back, say, in a week or two's time. 